Hello, and welcome to Sounding Out with Izzy, the podcast where we have conversations with musicians, music producers, publicists, live promoters, zine makers, journalists, and more about their experiences working in the music industry as women, non-binary, and queer people. I'm your host, Isabel Corp the founder of the Queer Femme music-based blog and YouTube channel, A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Today, I chat with the extraordinary Rosie Slater, a powerhouse drummer who has played and sung backup for artists such as Brian Wilson, Stevie Van Zandt, Elvis Costello, Torres, and many more. Rosie joins me to chat about the intense physical labor of touring as a drummer, learning to embrace confrontation and stand up for yourself as a woman and or femme or queer person in the music industry. And this is no joke, how she by happenstance found out through a friend that her work had been credited on a Frank Ocean album without her knowledge. If you're interested in that part of the story, then you definitely will want to stick around for the entire conversation. And without further ado, let's get right into this episode. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Running around the usual... The usual... (laughs) Did you do anything today? Catching up on a lot of work and stuff that needs to get done sometime. Yeah, but how about you? Same here. Catching up on a lot of work. Nice. Sometimes stuff just needs to be getting done sometime, you know? (laughs) It does. And just trying to figure out when that's going to be is, you know, it's a struggle. (laughs) So... I wanted to have you on here because I've never done like a strictly drums episode. Cool. On this show, but I, so I'm really excited that you're here to, for starters, because when I first saw you play with Torres at Webster Hall, I was like, who is this goddamn unicorn? Just like shredding it, (laughs) (laughs) like just ripping like hitting the skins just killing it up there and so like when you joined my friend's band on tour (laughs) that's a mutual connection we have thick it was amazing to see that like circle back around because I was like I know that girl (laughs) I've seen that girl yes it's fun and I I love Torres it's a great that's a great great band and that Webster Hall show was fun that was the super cute stuff not super cute super chunk sorry i'm conflating my band yeah oh Um, is there a band called super cute that's a cute name (laughs) there is it was a band it was rachel trachtenberg and julia cummings from sunflower bean that like i mean we were young kids um but that was called super cute but i met super chunk which is also a super rad band and amazing Yeah, I took my brother to that show because he had never been to, like, a proper venue. He'd never seen a show at, like, a venue before. It had only been, like, festivals and stuff like that. Yeah. 
but that's a fun, that was a fun that's show. A fun first one to start out. Would you like to state your name to listeners? What time it is and where you are currently staying? Sure, I am Rosie Slater. It is seven seven p.m. and I am in Pound Ridge, New York, which is like upstate-ish. And I guess to go back a little bit, I understand that you were raised in a musical family and your father's yes. a, an engineer, a sound engineer. Yeah. He, so both of my parents are actually musicians. My dad is an engineer and a bass player and a producer. And my mom is a violinist and guitar player. That's rad. So I guess I want to like start a little bit like for you as a child, how and when did you first get into music as a listener and what really inspired you as a kid? I mean, it like I've been going to shows for as long as I can remember going to see my parents play. I mean, they I don't necessarily remember this, but they'll talk about like taking me to recording sessions when I was still in like a baby bucket and going to like the old the big studios that used to be in New York and stuff and just they you know, plop me in the control room and do the sessions and everything. And so I just kind of grew up around all of that and listening to a lot of the music that they were playing and the artists that they were playing with, but also like I was basically raised on the Beatles. So I found like, I remember my third birthday, we had like a mixed cassette and it was all different Beatles songs. And I think I almost exclusively listened to the Beatles until I was probably like, six or seven there might have been like there was an amy grant song that was like a huge hit in 91 or two that i loved but until i got a little older it was pretty much all beatles all the time um yeah and going to shows and yeah where did you grow up were, were you always in uh new york yeah um so like i grew up also up here um, and going to, yeah, going into New York to see shows. Um, so it used to be like a lot of times at clubs like the bottom line, um, which is now sadly an NYU lecture hall. Um, and then like one of the first shows that I remember, like one of the first bigger shows that my dad was playing with an artist that was opening for Ray Charles at Radio City. So we went and like, they snuck me backstage and did the whole thing and watched that from the wings. But yeah, kind of always been a New York kid. Um. Wow. So that's crazy. Like I'm just picturing a baby Rosie, just like, just like lounging in VIP. I mean, kind of, yeah. I was always, yeah. I was always fascinated by the dressing rooms because like, I remember seeing, especially like the background singers would go in to the dressing rooms looking normal. And then they'd come out and they were like covered in sequins and sparkles. And I was like, okay, what's that room? And how do I get in it? Because that's cool. And I want to come out covered in sequins and sparkles. And that kind of, like, that's where my brain went. Yeah. Um, Would you say that pretty much drove you like that little childlike desire to be like, I want to be the person who's coming out of the dressing room in sequins. I want to be like putting on the shows yeah. and yeah. I mean, it initially didn't drive me to music initially until I was probably 15 or 16. I wanted to be a ballet dancer, 
but I mean, I guess on some level it must have, because that was still like being on stage and in costume and the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, even like my mom's parents were also both musicians. So it's just like long lines of creatives. So I don't know, like they certainly never pushed me into it, but I also don't think it was such like a normal thing to do that it was kind of like, oh, this is cool. I'll try this. Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to just one second. I'm going to eject. Okay, there we go. I think that's better. I just had to adjust the volume. All good. Little technical (laughs) snafu there. Happens all the time. Yeah, it's like annoying how much it happens. (laughs) I bet you're more than familiar with that. Like when it comes to like sound checking, like every other day or. Oh, sound checking. And it depends on the bands if the bands are using technology like every day is a surprise what's one of the funniest or most i guess like outlandish surprises quote-unquote surprises you've had when it's showtime and you're like on stage and you have to like sort of dig your way out of that hole like and improvise you know how it always goes like on stage when there's technical difficulties well it depends sometimes like there's the industry standard of using an SPD and they're great. And they're they're the drum machines and they do all of this stuff and they're these unbelievably powerful devices, but they, and it's like a running joke amongst everybody who uses them that they're also the most like frustratingly inconsistent thing ever. So, you know, you'll do things like we had a Torres show in Chicago and it was like the after party for a festival that we were playing the next day. And the SPD decided it wasn't going to load any of the sounds. And it just, we spent our whole sound check trying to figure out what was happening. And like, thankfully, everybody in the band is super patient and like has seen it get weird before. And I think the keyboard player, Aaron, and I finally found an answer after like an hour and a half of digging around like ancient roland forums we found one on like the roland australia forum or something from like 2009 and it was this bizarre thing about some like archaic file format you had to have with and then it like we did it and it was fine wow okay (laughs) i'm like calling friends like what's has it ever done this to you what is it's a mess um of course like a barely frequented like Quora style oh, web yeah, form would have the answer. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And we even like, oh, it's so silly. But I mean, thankfully, like, I feel like you kind of get used to rolling with it. Uh, so like we did the show anyway, and it was super fun. And like half the time, you know, we you'll be playing a show and like maybe tracks will cut out and it's happened with any any number of artists and something or someone will get off and you ha- like you're cutting things left and right. And my, my personal goal is that if something like that happens, that I'll know it happens, but like no one in the band will realize that that's what happened through the song. They'll just think it was totally fine and go on about their business and we'll get to the end of the show and it'll be like, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know there weren't tracks on this. And it's like, cool. Did it. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things to watch sometimes is observing how well like the band might handle an in the moment thing. Like it'll be like, 
oh no, guitar string broke. Okay, let's bust into a standout comedy set or something for five minutes and, and so distract everybody. Oh my goodness, on the, the, the tour that Thick just did in, I think it was in Portland. Um, some I'm not sure what was going on, but something was going on with the sound and like none of the monitors were working and then all of the mics weren't working. It was just like a mess. And it was maybe one song into the set. And Nikki and Kate decided like, cool, we're, we're playing charades. And we played charades with the audience for like 15 minutes and they loved it and we had fun. And it was just like, this is literally all we can do. And it worked. It ended up being a really, really fun show. But that was one of the wilder ones. So how did you initially join this, the latest tour that they were on? And what have you learned from the experience thus far? Because those girls are road dogs. They do not stop. They are. They live in a van. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, they definitely are. Well, so I've known Kate for years, just from playing shows with like other bands she's been in. I didn't know Nicole as well, but she's awesome. And I'm so glad I know her so much better now. But they, I guess they had done a Valentine's Day show or something. Yeah, it was at the Ramones thing. Was that yeah. what it was? Yeah, that one. Yeah. So, and I think one of my buddies was playing drums and they were looking for someone to play some shows with them at South by Southwest. So they asked me if I would do it. And we did and hit it off and it was great. And now you know, here we are, we're going out again in another two weeks or so. But yeah, I mean, what have I learned? I don't know. It's fun. It's fun to be with other road dogs. <laughs> like it's, it's a really nice touring environment. And it's a really powerhouse team of women. Like it was fun. At one point, we realized we had, there were five of us in the van and this amazing photographer, Megan, and Jillian, who is also in Shadow Monster, was doing merch, but also playing some guitar with stuff. And we just, it was fun, like, to just be with a really strong, really powerful group of all women. And we were like, cool, we are like, doing this all over this country in Canada, on our own, and like, making it all happen. It was really fun. Yeah. And it's really fun to experience because uh, Nicole and Kate are just total beasts. They're just monsters on stage. And whenever oh, yeah. like I take a friend to see Thick for the first time, they'll be like, okay, yeah, I get the hype. And I yes. think you add so much to that. Oh, thank you. Which is awesome because I, yeah, when I saw you guys a few weeks ago at TVI, I was basically watching you the entire time. Aw, <laughs> thank you. It is, they do, they put on a great show and it's fun. It's fun to have that because sometimes like you don't necessarily have the people you're playing with putting out that kind of energy. So it's real. it's fun for me to play with them because they do like, like you said, they put on an incredible show and it's fun to like have that same energy output across the stage instead of just in like a couple of people here and there. And I'm also curious to know about your personal experience in 2020 when we were really in the weeds of uh, the Panines <laughs> <The> pandemic. <laughs> Did you 
feel that like you experienced any sort of personal transformation during that time when life sort of just felt like it took a total 180 for so many people all over the world? Or do you feel like it was more of a time to just like lay low and then like recharge? I think it was kind of a mix of everything. Like I was supposed to leave for a tour the day before they closed all the airports or something. And I got a call from the artist like a couple of days before that. And he was just like, no, I don't, I don't think we can do this. Like, I don't think, I think we're going to get stuck if we do this. So it was like, it was really down to the wire. I, it was very strange at first. And I thought like, okay, cool. I will just lie low. And then I didn't know what to do with myself. So I started writing and recording more just on my own and trying to see what that would be like. And then I don't remember how far into the pandemic I got a friend was like, oh, there's this like group of drummers that were, it's like this little online community and we're all making cover videos and like, you should come, you know, do that. And it's called the Indie Drummer Collective. And it's, it was, that was really, really helpful because it was however many drummers from like amazing bands and people that I've admired for years and new people that now listening to their bands, like they're spectacular and all this kind of stuff. And it was this really great community. We were where we were all picking out songs and learning them. And it kind of gave everybody an excuse to keep playing and to kind of have, because especially when you're a drummer and stuff like that, it's like, what, you know, what are we going to do? We can't play with anybody. It's different. Like you can practice and you can play along to songs and stuff like that. And that's fine, but it's, without like the community of it, it's a little like, okay, well, what are we, what are we doing? And that could just be me. I know people who like thrive in doing all of it on their own, but this was a nice little community and a way to keep active and keep playing and keep challenging yourself and kind of be almost in better shape probably than we would have been otherwise because we had two years of working on all of this stuff and playing and trying to get better and do that. So it was like kind of simultaneously laying low and getting ready to like run out the door again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun to like work on playing bass and guitar and writing and singing and just doing stuff. And I had a bunch of friends that were doing a ton of recording during the pandemic also. So we were, I was sending them drum tracks or background vocals and things. So it was in a, I, in a lot of ways, was more active almost it was more active from like kind of the confines of what we had but it was like still a very kind of creative and interesting time I felt but I know that's I know a lot of people definitely didn't have that same experience and I definitely had the privilege of being in a situation where I could do that and have an experience of the pandemic that way Um, yeah that's awesome. When you are also like as as like a very prolific um, musician, do you ever feel like because I as like a drummer who's often recruited like to play in sessions or is going on tour with their own projects or going into the studio often, do you ever feel like being in the drummer lane because drummers are in such high demand. Once people learn that you can play drums, they're like, yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever, so how do you feel like, cause you play 
bass and guitar as well too right do you ever feel like it your abilities might be looked at in a like in a limiting way maybe it maybe but i think it's also i've been very fortunate and i'm very grateful to have had a lot of opportunities to try the other things so even whether it's just like like i know like with my other band new myths i sing all of the background vocals so i've had friends who have been like oh you can sing come do that over here or like i play like i was saying i play hand percussion with some artists and like now friends have found out that i do that so they're like oh do you want to add some like percussion and melodic stuff or like i don't know we it's I've been very lucky that I don't feel like I got super boxed in and now like trying to like I've finished recording a bunch of songs on my own and stuff and we'll hopefully have those out soonish. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've gotten lucky. But I also came from two parents who both double on other instruments who were very much like, hey, the more you do like do a bunch of different things but make sure you do them well because there are a lot of people that that's like you know that's a, a valuable thing to have if you can like be a utility person and like i kind of low-key love being a mercenary utility person and <laughs> so it's i enjoy it yeah um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, utility person. I love that term. I know a lot of people I talk to who work in the industry, especially the touring industry, they like, they love calling any dude or woman or person who can play lap steel a utility guy or a utility person. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, it is because that's like, it's not easy to find that. Like, I, that it's is true. one of the things I love about touring with. Torres is because John plays lap steel or no, he plays pedal steel. I'm sorry, but it's like, he's the other, you know, he's doing all the things over there. It's great. Yeah. Um, and when you are asked to play or add something to a musician, a specific person's project, and they might have like, a very high profile, like, I don't know, maybe a Frank Ocean per se. <laughs> when you get asked to be on like someone's album, like of that caliber, do you still like, is getting starstruck even still a thing for you? Or is this just like a business, a business as usual thing? Like when you're asked to play on like someone from the E Street Band's project or Frank Ocean's project? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the Frank Ocean thing was kind of wild in that we had, I had gotten asked to play on the song, it's called Device Control, and it's a Wolfgang Tillman's song, which I was also like, I was already kind of starstruck because he's this, like a spectacular photographer. And it like, it was very cool. But the, the, the Frank Ocean thing, I got a phone call or like a text from a friend from college. And he was like, how is it working with Frank Ocean? I was like, what are you talking about? And he sent me like a an article from some website or something that was like the humans behind Frank Ocean's new record. Like we had no idea. We recorded the song with Wolfgang and then he, he, I guess shot the the cover of Blonde 
and somehow in that process device control ended up being on endless and it but it was like a surprise to all of us we had <laughs> no idea so that was i got it was like starstruck after the fact so which was kind of great because i didn't have enough time to be during it but this like this stuff a lot of the other stuff i don't know i feel like when you're doing the job like with like what you're saying the e street band stuff like i've worked for steve van zandt a lot and you're you're so in it and you're so like i mean one of my favorite things that i just remember like thank goodness because of how my percussion station was set up i wasn't like looking at the artist but we had played we were doing a fundraiser or something and brian wilson was one of the guests we had to learn a bunch of beach boy songs and one of them was god only knows and it starts with just like percussion and stuff and i was just like oh thank goodness my back is currently to brian wilson because hearing like that kind of like iconic voice and you're doing it's just like don't screw up just keep going it's like dory in finding nemo where she's just like just keep swimming just keep that's <laughs> <laughs> just keep going but it's fun i mean i don't like i don't know if i ever had to work for dave grohl it might be like a, i might just be like <laughs> but usually i don't know I feel like you're just kind of like, and you can just kind of power through. But once it's over and you've done the playing and you've got, then it's fun to be like, that was cool. <laughs> that was a cool, weird thing. Yeah. yeah. So device control being on Endless, was it just, did he just sample that or was it? Or No, I think the whole song, he, from what I understand, it's the song in its entirety at the end of Endless. So it's like, it's there. I love it just because of the stance that Frank Ocean took of it, like fulfilling his, like the last record in his contract. And he was like, well, fine, here you go. And then like yeah. put out Blonde shortly thereafter. And it's just like, yeah, that's insane. He swindled Island out of like millions of dollars. <laughs> Amazing. It's incredible. And I love it. Yeah. And he's great. He, it was, that was weird and wild and, exciting and like even like the engineer that had done it he didn't know i texted like we all found out once the album came out yeah yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to try and find that article after the humans behind the album one that you mentioned yeah that's wild that's how that, that's like, how you found out because it was like there weren't that many i think i was one of a maybe two or three other like humans that had physically played on the record because a lot of it there were a lot of like producers and stuff and a lot of programming and all this kind of stuff that went into it you know it was very funny to get texts from like friends from college that are like how was that like what i don't know what you're talking like what are you talking about it was a very yeah it's a very welcome yeah. surprise it was like sitting on the floor in like a lake house in the middle of nowhere it's like was i dreaming this whole time mm-hmm <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. And I'm so excited and grateful. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I I'm also curious, what are some of the biggest disagreements that you've had with collaborators? I mean, it really depends. Like if it's if I've been like hired and someone else is producing and the artist has a vision and all that kind of stuff, like whatever they say goes, and that's fine with me. It's their vision. I'm happy to just be there and help them achieve it. So I don't really have an ego in it in that way in terms of like, you know, fighting about stuff. 
I'm trying to think other like with my own bands and stuff like that, we've had like big disagreements over like drum sounds. Like we like to record and pretty much do things in a vacuum where it's kind of, it's all like internal dialogue and someone went outside of that. And this dude just like, my, but my friend got an opinion from this guy who like didn't know us, didn't know what the vision of the band was, didn't know. And like sent the longest like mansplainy thing, but there was a big chunk of it about how the drums should sound. And I was just like, well, you don't know me. You don't know what I like my drums to sound like. And quite frankly, I don't care what you think. <laughs> like, I'm not going to So like that kind of stuff. Big disagreements that way. But by and large, I've been very lucky and like haven't had any big like blowouts. Things like I've fights over like, but they haven't even necessarily been fights where it's been like, I want to put a string section on this song. And like someone else will be like, no, I'm like, just let me do it. And then if we don't like it, we can take it out. And they stayed. So mm. I win. <laughs> I, so I was recently at a picnic with a bunch of other women who work in the music industry. And a big point of discussion that came up was how terrified all of us are at the prospect of confrontation. And, you know, what was the funniest thing that happened after that was... My friend Sophie, who was hosting the picnic, had a set of tarot cards. And we thought, let's just do a reading just for funsies, just for shits and giggles. And she pulled three cards. And essentially, all the cards summed up. Don't avoid confrontation. Face it head on because confrontation is inevitable. And we were just like, okay, that is <laughs> wild yeah. that we were just talking about that. And we weren't even doing don't this lie. as a serious thing. They do, the cards do not lie. So, and another big point of discussion that came up like amongst all of us was the fact that when these situations come up, especially like for women and girls, we often feel like, we're already like a condition to apologize for existing or just like overstepping at all as women yeah. and femmes. And so like, it can already just be the most skewed and fucked psychological just torment to <laughs> even like think about. And also it was very validating because like, I beat myself up over that. Like, oh, I'm so afraid of confrontation. That means that oh, I yeah. am a pussy and I suck. <laughs> like, and I can't stand up for myself. But so I'm like, I wanted to pick your brain a bit. When these situations inevitably come up, how have you found yourself being able to navigate them in a way where you're able to give yourself credit and be kinder to yourself, you know? I mean, I think like we all are, I'm still learning. I will say that my, like, I spend a lot of time working in schools, which I think goes a long way towards learning a lot of like conflict resolution and like communication things, because, you know, especially like I work with really little kids. 
So you're kind of teaching them the tools and it can be very helpful because while you're helping them navigate some kind of difficult confrontation or something like that, you're kind of like relearning it for yourself. So I think, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying like, as I get older to like have all of the hard conversations early and have them sooner before it escalates. Cause it's usually like, if you see something that's a little bit like, eh, what is like, what's going to happen here? The earlier you have a conversation, usually the less difficult it's going to be. Cause you don't have like, it, or I shouldn't say that it's easier for you to step back and have that conversation. If it's a little, if it's earlier on, cause you don't have like the pent up, like resentment and feelings that might kind of like cloud it. Otherwise, I don't know. It's tough. I'm still learning, just trying to be like, okay, well, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, because I came out of the ballet world, and they are some of the nastiest, like, which, like, doing that as a little kid, I feel like, so far, the music yeah. industry, while it's been, uh, it's rough, you know, there's no doubt about it, it's that it's rough, I, you kind of learn to, like, I learned to shake it off earlier because those people were so nasty sometimes that it's just like kind of like, okay, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I also feel like I didn't answer your question. Um, no, I feel like I you did. Know, having the community of that like community, but also like having a group of women and femmes who are all also in the same industry, like that really helps. Or even just like close friends of whatever who you're all doing the same thing and you have like other people in your community that maybe aren't directly involved but you can like have a conversation with about like how should I handle this situation having friends that understand the perspective and understand what the industry is and how that is because like sometimes it's hard if, if your close friends are in completely other industries like there can be a disconnect sometimes and they will do their darndest and you know that all of their advice comes from a place of love and wanting the best but they're just like subtleties of not being in the industry that kind of make it a little tough sometimes to use them as sounding boards <laughs> yeah i think we're you're right we're all just we're all still figuring it out day by day uh, yeah <laughs> i mean thick we're always making jokes about the van with thick is all like the van therapy <laughs> yeah and like nine times out of ten we're talking about human behavior patterns and like yeah yeah especially because like nicole works in psychology now so oh yeah they're like she's got like all the talking points ready to go in the van <laughs> oh my goodness we're always like it's funny because we like we listened to music in the van and stuff like that but it was like nine times out of ten we're like van therapy here we go <laughs> like, uh, it's usually on rotation in the van this last time it was a lot of turnstile and that was awesome that was very fun what else did we what else did we listen to we listened to some like patsy klein and like willie nelson and stuff driving through the desert that was fun i'm trying to think we listened to i don't even remember it was a lot of turnstile <laughs> Good answer. A whole lot of turnstiles. Yeah. 
can't think of any others that we like really dug into. I love 20th century country music. It's one of my favorite things. Do you know the podcast Cocaine and Rhinestones? No, but I sound like I think I should know it. What is it about? It's hosted by Tyler Mahan Co., who's the son of David Allen Co., the famous country artist. Yeah. And it's basically like investigative journalism style storytelling, like NPR style stories about country music legends from the 20th century and what their lives were were like and how they made the music that they gave to us. And the objective for all of his stories is like, he now has like, Nashville even gave him the keys to like the CMA archives. So he can like go there and, and look at it whenever. But the objective of this show for him is to get as close to the truth of all these people's stories as possible. Oh, that sounds awesome. I also, I realized we did a lot of podcasts in the van. We did a lot of Heart Starts Pounding, which is, it's like, some of it is ghost, like paranormal kind of stories. And some are more like historical, like true crime kinds of things. It's very good. We did a lot of those. There were a couple that got scary enough that we would turn them on and then be like driving through the mountains in the middle of nowhere and just be like, nope, <laughs> we're not doing this right now. But no, this, what is it? It's called Cocaine and Rhinestones? Yeah, Cocaine and Rhinestones, yeah. I am going to have to check this out. Yeah. I love me. I love me some country. Definitely. Um, yeah. My two, three-year-old, one of my best friend's three-year-olds is his like three favorite songs at the moment. One is the only goat herd from The Sound of Music, which who knows how that got in there. But then his other two favorite songs are Mama Tried and Boot Scoot Boogie. Oh, <laughs> and he knows every single word. You are not allowed to sing along with him, but you'll, he'll oh just be God. like in his car seat singing along to Mama Tried. And you're like, what are you doing? That's, that's low key kind of twisted, just like a, a three year old singing the words <laughs> to Mama Tried. <laughs> And his mom was like, I don't know where he got this one. (laughs) Yeah. And I bet like all of the context is just going way over his head because he's three. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but it just it cracks me up where I don't understand where this came from. And then his mom was like, I don't either. (laughs) But it's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know, are you familiar with Bansplain? Yes, we listened to the first episode of The Cure one. Um, nice. I want to listen to more of those, too, and see what some of the other bands... Because that sounds like a good one. There's a lot of... Right? Like, they do all different bands, and but they're all, like, super yeah. in-depth. They are, even with the ones, like, who aren't, like, considered, like, critically acclaimed or revered bands. Like, they have an episode on the offspring and they have one on dave matthews band <laughs> i think it's a, i think they have a two-parter actually on dave matthews band they but, want to talk about the tour bus dumping all the sewage into oh the yeah boat. yeah, yeah. Po- poop gate <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> for anyone who's unfamiliar just look up poop gate just google it <laughs> oh my goodness that's so funny yeah 
But I, I think it's so cool too, like the, especially like how Yasi the host just unashamedly likes what she likes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I need to check out more of those. And I want to finish the Cure one because it was really interesting. There was so much about them. But like, I've always really liked the Cure. I just haven't, I need to dive in more. I spend all of my time listening to like books about the Beatles. I'm a big Beatle nerd. It's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to learn about some other some of the others yeah i can't even listen to music anymore when i clean or just cook because i'm like i should be listening to a podcast right now <laughs> like i need a stimulating conversation in my ear holes i think i've so far conditioned my brain into functioning that way that no i agree i will i'll either usually listen to like an audiobook or a podcast and for a while Sometimes if I'm like cleaning or just puttering around the house, I really like, I'll listen to either like meditation talks or like, what are they called? Binaural beats or something. Mm. Those can be kind of fun. I don't know. Like, I love listening to music. I feel like there's just a lot of times that like, I have to like, my brain immediately turns into a place where it's like thinking about it. Yeah. And I have to be in the right mood to just be like, cool, I'm just going to listen to some tunes, which is, you know, I love you know, blasting. I went through a phase, not a phase. A couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning and just like blasting the Foo Fighters as loud as humanly possible. And I, this is fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was working yeah. out to Taylor Swift. That was a good time. Ooh, what? what oh, I, I, you have no idea. The floodgates have just opened. What, 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 what was the album? What was the era <laughs> of, okay. of Swift? So it was, it was, it's a uh, playlist on Spotify called like the most hype Taylor Swift something or other. And it's great. So it's got all of them and it's, yeah, they were all bangers. And it was like, cause I, I loved, I got like real deep into fearless and what was the other one? What came after fearless red? Speak now and then read. Speak now. Okay. And then read. I was super into Fearless because my like best friend in college would like played it relentlessly and I got Stockholm syndromed into loving it. And now I absolutely adore it. But then yeah, I, I just like tuned out for a minute. And I like loved 1989 and all this kind of stuff. But then I was listening to this playlist and I was like, these are great. They're all great. And I just want to dance around and like great good working out music and then i was like listening in the car and if you're driving really late at night and like you're kind of sleepy you just belt at the top of your lungs it's a good time i'm a fan i would have loved to see the eras tour yeah you know what's really funny about the eras tour by the way is my did you hear about that news where like she's paying like so all the, a bunch of people in her crew or like giving like the truck drivers who work for her like a like 15 million dollar bonus or something amazing yeah it's incredible and like she's taylor swift so it's good so obviously she can do that which is awesome yeah. taylor, i can drive a truck <laughs> i have a driver's oh, license so funny <laughs> yeah oh my goodness that would be that would be like a dream gig i would love to play with taylor swift i think that would be so fun putting it out into the universe putting it out into the universe one way or another i will find my way into playing on that tour yeah. Her, her next one is. 
I remember I remember there was like a specific band one time doing an interview and this band was like on the way up at this point so like um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like super far off of a prospect but they were taught they were just nerding out about like the my chem reunion right after it was announced in like 2019 and the reporter interviewing was like, oh, you should open for them. And he was like, yeah, okay, so I'm going to manifest it. I'm just going to say it over and over again. So we're going to open for My Chemical Romance and we're going to open for My Chemical Romance. And yeah, we're going to open for My Chemical Romance. He just said it over and over again. And cut to like three years later, that band did get on an opening slot for the MCR reunion tour. So manifestation works, baby. It does. It does. I have a friend who like, the same thing she'll be like yeah this is what i want this is what i'm going to do and then it happens and you're just like how how do we harness these powers i definitely believe in all of that stuff and like i even remember listening to i don't remember i think it was an interview with dave Grohl or something and he was just like look if you, like someone was like oh what do you how do you like get to where you are and all this kind of stuff and he was like you keep your head down and you make good music and you keep going out and playing good shows and that's like you focus your energy where on the things you have control over and like i was like yeah and i mean even i saw patty smith in december and she was incredible she was just like keep doing the work i was like yes oh i'll hail patty she was incredible like one of the most inspiring shows i have seen oh i bet God, I love her more than anything. Oh, it's so where I because I've gotten my mom tickets for Christmas a couple years ago and it was still like pandemic y and like just made her a little anxious. So I sent the tickets back and then I got them again this year. And I was just like, I don't care how you feel, we're going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we did, and it was in Brooklyn Steel, and she was incredible. She was just amazing and inspiring and sounded fantastic. And her band, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. uh, Speaking of Brooklyn Steel, I caught uh, La Tigre there on the 27th. How was that? It was everything I could have wished for and more. It was just, I, they came out in uniform. Oh my God. I love it. Their core, their color coordinated checker print outfits. They did all their choreography, and and yeah, like a band with that much like cred and just like being like, okay, here's our backing track. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just do the thing, and we're gonna we're gonna dance for you. God, it was the best night ever. There was that's amazing. And they closed with Decepticon, obviously, and the amount of like. screaming and shouting and crying that was around me (laughs) was going down it was like a spiritual experience it was so much oh that's amazing that's so much fun like i it was funny last torres was in europe and the uk this past summer and we played at green man and the band headlining the first night was craftwork oh and I had no idea what to expect. Like I'd heard Craftwork and I knew, but I just like was really interested and curious. And like, what is what? What's the live show going to be like? Like, I, I just no idea. They were amazing. They had a whole like three D thing, and like the way they it was nuts. But the same kind of thing. People were freaking out. But it was an amazing show, and like it was very cool. It was very interesting. Yeah. Oh, 
that's definitely a bucket list for me to see craft work before they, they were great before they retire like i'm surprised that like i love that they're still going that and still like innovating that is yeah. incredible i love that it was phenomenal and just like the way they did everything and controlled everything and they put on a show and like they it was like such a fine line between like the audience being so like focused that like you could hear a pin drop but also at the same time everybody like freaking out and having so much fun and like dancing it was awesome and then the whole 3d aspect of it was really interesting all the 3d visuals and stuff was cool a 10 out of 10 recommend that is amazing would see again yeah what have another thing that was on my list that i can't believe i'm not i haven't come around to until now was what is Mackenzie like to work with <laughs> oh my god she's the best i love Mackenzie so much that band like we laugh so much it's really fun and like her material is so interesting and like it's so it's like the songs themselves are just fast like just cool and like there's so much genre bending happening and so it, like it's it's really interesting in that regard but then like as people we are so helplessly silly and have so much fun and like she's another one who puts out like a ton of energy on stage so it's fun to try and like match that and then off stage we are all very very silly like the four of us laugh so much and like even i had even forgotten and we played a show we opened for don richard at racket in june and even just like a couple of days we all get together and we're all like in tears we're laughing so hard over just like goofy stuff so mackenzie is awesome we have so much fun i love that yes um, and I love, it feels like she's ripping her chest open in the studio. Yes. And when you juxtapose that with her, like off stage, just like this lighthearted, silly, like, like you described, which is exactly what I expected. Cause like, she has great, like even stage banter and everything. Yeah. And I just like her music definitely helped me a lot. Like, especially going through like so many different emotional, like changes. It's, I mean, yeah, she does. She has an incredible vulnerability and all this stuff in the recording. And I think on stage too, it's like, I think the energy and the, the same like intent and the energy and the passion that you see on stage, it's like fully sincere and it is like who she is and she's pouring her soul out every single night. Yeah, she's got a lot of very powerful things to say. And I think the way she expresses them are very, they're very relatable. That's, you know, but I, no, I, I agree. I fully, I admire that kind of vulnerability on stage and in the studio and all of that stuff. But. Yeah. I especially admire it in a landscape where, especially, you know, like when you live in New York and it feels like everybody yeah. around you is playing up the like cool persona, which literally cool means like a lack of passion, essentially. Yeah exactly because it's like how you know they're humans we need to you know it's nice to see especially with the way things have been lately it's nice to see people's humanity <laughs> yeah um and the last question i had is what 
is your dream festival lineup? Let's see. I'm going Foo Fighters. Well, yeah, any, well, Beatles, Foo Fighters, in no particular order, except for the Beatles at the top. Joni Mitchell, the Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet. I feel like I could go for like, I could go for a George Harrison solo set too. That would be cool. Oh, Prince. Prince would be my fifth. I'm shooting for the, probably be like the most expensive festival on the planet. But yeah, I think that would be, if they had to all currently be living, that would be trickier. I'd probably go Paul McCartney, Foo Fighters, Joni Mitchell, because, you know, we can, we can work around, around things. Stevie Wonder. Oh, but see, then I forgot Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye on my first one. I don't know. That's a hard question. <laughs> Clearly, as you can tell, I like I like my old my old music. But I don't know. See, that's the other thing. If I had to pick like contemporary, I don't even know. Man, I don't know. That's tough. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, I have no idea. We could throw Turnstile in there too. <laughs> Turnstile would be fun. So I saw Turnstile. They were my first. They were unintentionally my first show that I had seen out of the pandemic because they were they played Zone One at Elsewhere. Zone and One. Wow, that's a lie. I was playing in Zone One. I get the two rooms mixed up. They were playing the big room. They were playing the hall, and we were playing in Zone One. And after I don't remember if it was after Soundcheck or while the other bands were playing. Like one of our buddies does all the like audio stuff there and he was like oh do you want to go see and i was like okay so we went and watched them in the hall which is still like not a huge room maybe 500 maybe more i don't know it was wild it was like people were going bonkers stage diving and crowd surfing and doing all this stuff and i just like kind of like hid behind our friend that had brought us into the room because i was like this is so many people so close together and i don't i'm not a great lover of crowds in the first place mm -hmm. but the band sounded amazing yeah the band was ripping can you imagine them ever playing the hall now like now that they're headlining festivals and winning grammys oh that my is, god that is crazy just out of the pandemic they played the hall and now now they're like Woof. touring with blink 182 yeah literally like it's ridiculous they they could um, headline glastonbury now Oh, probably. I mean, they were one of the headliners at 2000 Trees, not this past year, but the year before, I think. Mm. Yeah, they're great. They're amazing. They're so good. That drummer is a monster. It's a great band. They are. That's a great note to end on. Yeah. Turnstile, come back to the hall. Like, do like a secret game. It was <laughs> nuts. It was wild. And like, I didn't, I, I'm going, I'm excited. I didn't know I hadn't heard of them until that show. And then I feel like once we saw that show, they were everywhere, like absolutely everywhere. And I don't remember when that was. I wish I could remember. Had to be at least probably two years ago, if not more. But it was wild, rowdy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me for this chat. I had a blast. Me too. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you online and uh, listen to your music? 
So there's, they can find me on, on the Instagrams and the things like that. It's Rosie Slater drums. And I, my website, God help me. What is my website? It's really, it's Rosieslater.com, I think. But then I have a couple songs on Spotify, just under Rosie Slater, some covers that I've recorded and there will be more soon. There's a whole record done. Just got to put it out. Exciting. Yeah. And don't forget new myths as well. Oh yeah. New myths new- rips. <laughs> oh my God. I fail. New myths. New myths is in all the places. There's probably more. I get scattered. It's <laughs> drummer problems. Don't and Henry Blood played a bunch of the Henry Flower stuff that's coming out. Um, yeah. If you're feeling Christmassy, you can find me with Darlene Love. <laughs> like, it's all, all the possibilities are endless. I love that. Thanks for letting you me take too. up an hour of your time. <laughs> oh my gosh, anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Sounding Out with Izzy, and thank you, Rosie Slater, for joining me today. Remember to subscribe and sign up for the mailing list on my YouTube channel and written blog, both under the name A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode of Sounding Out with Izzy. Thank you.